This message is a ministry of Plainville Baptist Church. www.plainvillebaptistchurch.org David asked me to open with prayer this morning. He said, do I have to text you to remind you? I didn't have my phone with me. Let's pray. We call out to you, O Lord our God, for you're so very great. Come and visit us in this place. Come from on high. Pour out your spirit. Father, do that work that only you can do in the heart of every hearer. Father, if it's a work of of conviction leading unto repentance, if it's a a work of convincing leading unto fearlessness, to boldness, Father, have your will, have your way in this place, in our lives. Fill Pastor David full. Use him mightily, I pray, by means of your spirit and your word. For Christ's sake, in Jesus' name I ask it, Lord. Amen. The children uh, ages 3 to 11 can be dismissed to junior church if they have not yet already. And their teachers. Turn to Psalm chapter 2 this morning. Psalm chapter 2, as we talk about the announcement of the coming Messiah. And um, concerning Dan and Elise's moving next Saturday, um, they said all the boxes and everything like that will be done. It'll just be furniture uh, to be moved, so that shouldn't take too long. And if you can help in any way, that would be greatly appreciated, especially because Dan has a bad back, and uh, that, that if you can help, that would be... Um, a great help to them. And also the, the service we have today at Sunset Acres, at the caroling service, we are going to have just a light, um, so light lunch here beforehand. Uh, and so uh, please come out for that. We had maybe 30 or 40 uh, residents from Sunset Acres there last year. Uh, it was colder last year than it was this year, but... Um, Let's pray that God would open the hearts of those who are hearing it um, to come. And it's at 1 o'clock, so if, you know, you didn't bring warm enough stuff, you've got plenty of time to head back after and um, change and come to Sunset Acres for 1 o'clock. So please be there. And if you can't sing, that's okay. You can just stand further back. Rock said, I'm going to be there. He goes, I can't sing, but I'm standing all the way in the back. So uh, please Um, come for that. Psalm chapter 2. Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising vain things? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He then will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury, saying, But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance, and the very ends of the earth as your possession." 
You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them like earthenware. Now, therefore, O kings, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the Son that He not become angry and you perish in the way, for His wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in Him. You know, the Psalms, as we're reading through the Psalms this past week, um, you can see in the Psalms there is so much that is necessary. They're the songbook of the Old Testament saints, even the New Testament saints, and uh, not just early ones, but even today there are churches that regularly sing the Psalms. And when I was in the Navy, um, when we were in Scotland, I one particular Sunday, I went to a uh, free church of Scotland, and uh, there they were, the, the gentleman who was leading it opened up the Psalter, and he picked the tune. He said, we're going to sing it to this tune, we're going to sing Psalm number this, and there are were, there were books, not with music, but just the books with the words, uh, all the Psalms set to meter and rhyme, and, and you open it up and you would sing along with that, and I was so... Uh, uh, intrigued by it, I asked, you know, is there a place where I could buy one of these? And the gentleman gave me one. I still have that today. It's just beautiful. Not only the Psalms, but various other portions of Scripture were set to rhyme and meter. Uh, just a beautiful thing. But the Psalms were sung and are sung today um, because they're so necessary for the devotional life of the church, for the personal walk of the believer with God. Uh, they describe the personal events in the psalmist's life and speak to the issues of life and the way in which the writers were able to trust God in the midst of difficult circumstances, to praise Him in those difficulties and see the victories that God won for them on their behalf. Uh, but there's not only those personal things. There's prophecy within the Psalms as well. God used this poetry to proclaim the truth of those things that He was going to do. And one of them is the proclamation of the Savior, the Messiah. We see it throughout the Psalms. In Psalm 22, we see the aspect of Jesus' death on the cross. In Psalm 16, His resurrection. Uh, in other Psalms, His betrayal. Here in Psalm 2, his announcement. The Messiah is coming. And so as we see this, this pronouncement, it's the Christmas season, and yet long before Gabriel ever came to Mary and pronounced the Messiah's arrival or to Zechariah and, and his arrival, even before Isaiah's proclamation of, uh, of the Messiah, David in Psalm 2 pronounces Messiah's arrival. And so there's four things we're going to see this morning out of this psalm. Number one, the world's declaration of their autonomy. The world's declaration of their autonomy. Secondly, the Father's declaration of His authority. Then we see the Son's declaration of His ascendancy. And finally, the psalmist declares the world's dependency in humility. So as we see these in verses 1 to 3, 
The psalmist declares the world's declaration of their autonomy. The world wants to be independent of God. Anyone but God can rule over us. That's the mantra today. It's not anybody, whoever will do that but God. I don't care as long as it's not the God of the Scripture. And that's, that's what he says. Why are the nations in an uproar, the peoples devising a vain thing? What have they done? They've taken a stand against who? The Lord and against His anointed, His Messiah, saying, let's tear their fetters apart. See, they see what God has given to them, what the truth He has given to them as chains as opposed to freedom. And they said, we're going to make our own freedom when in actuality it's chains. And so the world is declaring its autonomy from God. They hear of His work and they oppose it. They will not follow His direction in an attempt to come together. And that's what that word is. Uh, Why are the nations in an uproar? That word is a throng. Why are they thronging together against God? Because there's security in numbers, so they imagine. They, they do this. The people are gathering together in an attempt to overthrow God. And so we see this in, in Herod. In Matthew chapter 2, Herod heard about Jesus, the Messiah, the king who had been born, and he sought to destroy him at his birth. The Sanhedrin saw Jesus in his ministry, and they sought to kill him. And they thought they succeeded. All of them thought they succeeded, but they did not. It's the same today, though. Remove Jesus from the public square. You know, it's not right to mention the name of the Lord Jesus, except as a curse word. That's okay. I remember my campus minister was at the food line. He went in to to eat with some of the students, and uh, he was in the food line, and there was was an individual in front of them, and they were serving pork, and for some reason, they just didn't care for it, and they brought Jesus' name to bear about what was being served for the food, and he said, no, he wouldn't. And they said, excuse me? No, he wouldn't eat pork either. He was Jewish, my Lord and my Savior. It's okay to curse with his name, but it's not okay to bring it up as a blessing or to bring it up in discussion. We can say, God bless America, but try saying, Jesus bless America. No, we want to take him out of the public square. It's not proper to speak of him at work or at school. Don't talk about politics or religion. But that's really just to keep people quiet from talking about the most important subject in the world, Jesus Christ. And so here it is. They're declaring their autonomy from God. 
They're setting up a holy war against him. Everyone is seeking to declare they're in control. It's not natural for you to submit to him. Not at all. The rebellious heart is at war with God. And to acknowledge that will not happen. Instead, I'm going to acknowledge my self-rule. You know, even in all these things, why do you think they're taking place? Why do you think this uh, respect, I'm sorry, this disrespect for marriage act has, has taken place? Why? Because God set up marriage as a picture of Christ and the church. It's a picture of what God has done through the church that brings joy. And instead, they've, they, they've destroyed it by saying it doesn't really mean anything. But all, you see all of these things that are taking place. Why? Because people are setting up their autonomy against God. And we see it in, in Romans chapter 3. It, it's not new. Please remember, this is not new. As a matter of fact, it's probably more exciting to live now because we are closer to the first century uh, paganism than, than we ever have been. And you know what? Let me tell you this. The early Christians lived under this kind of oppression. We haven't even begun to experience it here in this country. But they lived under that kind of oppression in joy, in peace, because they had a message of salvation. They had a spirit who directed their lives. And guess what? We have the same spirit. We ought not be in despair over the things we see. It's just what God has said. It's the very thing God has said. And in Romans chapter 3, Paul says, It's written, there's none righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There is none who seek for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So Paul is saying here, and he's quoting from Psalm 53 and Psalm 14, he's quoting here these verses, and he's saying, look, people are going to be cursing. They're going, to be, they're, they're going to be maligning others in their heart, including God. They know better. They're going to be maligning others. They're not going to be afraid to do that. They're cursing and bitterness. Poison is under their tongue. They're just going to spew it out. That's who they are. Murder. He said that murder is in their, is, is in their tongue. They'll murder people in their hearts, but they have what? No peace in their heart. Why? Because they don't know Jesus Christ. They don't know the Savior. There's no peace in their heart. There's no fear of God before their eyes. They're not, they're not afraid to speak. They think when they get before God, they're going to tell Him what for. God, this is how you mess things up. This is why your creation is terrible. You should have done this and this and this. They think they're going to stand in judgment of God, but God is going to stand in judgment of them. And in verses 19 and 20, it says they will not even be able to open their mouth. They will not have a word to speak, for they will be condemned. 
No one's speaking at that, at that ju ju judgment seat. And unless you have a lawyer to advocate for you, you will be condemned. It's only if you can have the lawyer at your, at your right hand to argue your case. And guess what? You can't hire him. You've got to receive him. And you've got to let him do all the work. Otherwise, you will stand at that judgment and you will have nothing to say. You will have nothing to say in your defense. But this is what the psalmist says is going on. Here is this tirade that they are calling out against God. What you do when you set yourself up as autonomous, I'm in charge of my life. You're making a God in your image. You're the one you conceive of in your head will wink at your particular sin. Oh, yeah, God judged them for their sin, but He's okay with my sin. See, that's not, that's not how it works. The sin that God is going to judge others for, He's going to judge you for your sin. He's holy and righteous. He's not going to wink at your sin. When Jesus Christ returns, you will be either with Him or against Him. Those are the only options. There is no neutral, there is no Switzerland when Jesus returns. There's no neutral ground at all. See, even in Jesus' day when He came, the, 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 the Jewish people thought that the Messiah was going to come to remove the burden of the law. And he did, but not in the way they thought. They thought he'd just kind of take away that, that burden. It was putting it upon himself off of them. He said, you, 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 you've said, Messiah's going to come and he's going to wipe out the law. He said, I tell you, here it is. There is no jot or tittle that will pass from the law. Nothing. I've not come to abolish the law. I've come to fulfill it. And so we see this. This is what's going on. And when you make your autonomy from God and you say, I'm going to get to heaven my way, or you're going to say, I don't care about your heaven. I don't care about you. I'm going to, where are you going to go from here? You're going to make your own world? Not very likely. Try now. Start trying now. And, you know, maybe just for a good show, start with a rabbit. And uh, once you can do something like that, then um, come up with something better. But you're not going to do that. Secondly, the world declared their autonomy. The Father declared His authority. Look at what happens. There's three things here that we notice about God in verses 4 to 6. First of all, God is amused. He sees these people setting themselves against him, and he's amused. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Think about what's going on. He, he's amused at the nation's attempts to, to thwart his plan for the Messiah. Go ahead. Try that. That's funny. He looks at their rather little puny plans and laughs. They think they're so big. They think they're God. You know, did you ever see some of the, 
those people meditating and their, their mantras, I am God, I am God. Can you imagine that? And you're like, God's like looking down from heaven and he's saying, what are they saying? I'm God, I'm God. You know, what's going on here? God laughs at that. He scoffs. What else? God is amused. God is angered. He'll speak to them in his anger. He'll terrify them in his fury saying, I've installed my king already. I've done this. He's angered. Why? He's angered at this because setting up the Messiah is for their best. If they will come to him, if they will find him. Don't you understand? Put aside your thoughts of autonomy. This is for your best. This would bring your blessing. Receive him. And so they act like hurt or trapped animals, trying to bite the one who is seeking to release them or heal them. God's angry at the refusal to see and to listen to what he says. Listen to me. I'm saying to you, I am setting up my Messiah. As a matter of fact, he says it more clearly, and we see this thirdly. God is victorious. He says, I have installed my king. He speaks in the past tense as if it's already as good as done. I have set up my Messiah. He speaks past tense because God has declared it, and it will come to pass. It's as good as done. There is no doubt as to whether it will happen or not. God has installed His Messiah on Zion. We don't see it. We don't see it right now, but it is as good as done. Thirdly, we see this. Not only the world's declaration of their autonomy and the Father's declaration of His authority, but the Son's declaration of His ascendancy in verses 7 to 9. It's describing who the Messiah is. And this is, this is the Son speaking here. It goes to this first person. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my Son. Today I have begotten you. Who is He? He's the Son of God. He is the Son of God. I will surely tell the decree of the Lord, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. He is the Son of God. Angels proclaimed it. Angels praised him for it. Gabriel told Mary, the Holy One that is born in you shall be called the Son of God. The angels declared it to the shepherds. Is Christ the Lord? We see the shepherds praised Him. The Father approved Him. When at His baptism, He came, He said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The Father approved Him. And so we, we see this, we recognize this. The Son is declaring who He is. Now, understand... He is the Son of God. He is, secondly, the world's deliverer. In verses 8 and 9, the Father says, Ask from me, and I'll give you the nations as your inheritance, the very ends of the earth as your possession. 
you're going to have the whole world. You remember the devil came to Jesus and said, just bow down to me and I'll give you all of that sans the cross. You can, ex- you can escape the cross if you just bow down to me. I'll give you all the nations of the world. But the Father promised him this first. He is the heir of the world. And that's, that's what it means when it says he's begotten. It doesn't mean that he was created. It doesn't mean that he came into being sometime in eternity past. It describes his relationship between the Father and himself. He was set up, and this terminology is described as the king who rules for the highest king. The highest king is in heaven. Jesus, the Son, is set as the king of all the earth. Paul says it, not only just the earth, but all of creation. Colossians chapter 1, he is the firstborn of all creation. And again, it doesn't mean he's created, it means he's the heir. He is the one who is the inheritor of everything there is, even as Terence read this morning, uh, speaking about the inheritance that he has as firstborn, as this place of privilege, of inheritance. He's the world's deliverer. He will rescue those who are oppressed through the sin and abuse of others, and He will judge those wicked who will not receive Him. That's, what's, that's what He's saying here. You're going to break them with a rod of iron. Things are going to get turned around when He comes back. You're not going to have wholesale corruption in the government when He comes back. No, as a matter of fact, Isaiah says, His kingdom will be one of righteousness and peace. Anyone who would seek to corrupt that will be destroyed. There will be none who can do that. There will be none who take advantage of Him. Everyone will be beholden to Him and Him alone. His name will be the only one in that day, the Scripture says. And so lastly, we see, and how does this apply to you and me? How is this for us? Fourthly, we see the psalmist's declaration of the world's dependency in humility. In verses 10 to 12, he says, Now therefore, O judges of the earth, O kings, he says, use discernment, take warning. And he's telling them to pay attention. Wake up, if you will. Wake up. Use discernment while we're mentioning this here. And, and that's the, 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 the psalmist calls for discernment. That word discernment means consider, think about what is true. He's pleading with the kings. These people who are setting themselves against him, he's pleading with them. Show discernment. Think about this for a moment. Who is the Messiah? Who is Jesus? Think about this. What is true? You see, faith is not opposed to reason. Do you understand that? Some people talk about faith as if it's opposed to reason. It's a a leap of faith or a faith in the dark. No. Paul says, he doesn't say we walk by faith, not by reason. We walk by faith, not by thought. We walk by faith, not by sight. 
And so he calls us to consider. Even in Isaiah chapter 1, he says, Come, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they'll be as white as snow. Consider. People who have doubts about the Scripture are not because they think too much about the Scripture. It's because they think too little about it. If they recognize what's true, they won't have those doubts in that. Oh, you may have to wrestle through some hard things, but think about it. We, we, we do this all the time. Maybe, maybe, you have a little, maybe you have a little fear of flying. I, um, uh, on one of our first mission trips that we went to into South Africa, um, there was a lady next to us for the seven to ten hours who was greatly fearful to the point of crying and screaming. Um, that wasn't pleasant, but um, think about this. We, we, some of us have some fears about flying. The, so what do you do when you have fears? I'm not going to get on the plane. I'm just not going to go anywhere. I'm not going to fly anywhere. Well, that's a possibility. Well, how about we think about it? Oh, well, look, so have somebody instruct you. You know, there's a pr principle called the Bernoulli principle. It's what allows the air coming underneath the wings to produce upward lift. It holds those things. You can look out the window and you don't see anything holding up the plane, but it's there. You can have somebody explain to you about the construction of the plane and how safe it is, even though it may be by a company named Boeing. Um, you know, it doesn't, they probably didn't think about that when they were making the company. But, you know, they can talk about how, you know what, wings don't fall off planes normally. You've got to be shot at or blown up or whatever. The more you think about it, the more secure in your heart you are, right? Very... It's safer to fly in a plane than it is to drive on the roads, especially since my children have gotten their licenses. Um, we'll say no more about that. Um, but, but seriously, when you start considering the truth of that, it quells fear. When you consider that, it increases your faith in the airplane, in the pilot, in the system. It's when you stop thinking about it and you start allowing your emotion to guide and direct you. The psalmist is telling us here, think about it. Consider who the, psalm, who, who the Messiah is. He calls for discernment. Secondly, he calls for submission. Worship the Lord with reverence. Rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the sun. Kiss the sun. Literally. That, you not be, that he not become angry and you perish in the way. So he's talking about this worship, this homage. You have to acknowledge Jesus Christ is Lord. That's what it is. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart. It's not, I believe that Jesus is just another guy, a really good Savior, but not the Savior. Jesus Christ is Lord. Do homage to the Son. Now, here's, here's what you want to take away. This is what I hope you can take away from this. Why is God saying these last few verses? 
Why is he speaking these? Therefore, O kings, show discernment, take warning, O judges of the earth. Why is he calling out to these rulers? Because God is concerned about the salvation even of those who rise up against him. Do you understand the kindness of God toward these people who have rejected him, who have said, no, God, I don't want you. I'll rule my life, and you can go take a swim. He's concerned about them. He's concerned about those who even rise up against him. That's what Peter means in 2 Peter 3.9. He's not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Do you have the same concern for people around you? Do you have the same concern for the people you work with? The people in your neighborhood? May it never be the people in your family? Do you have the same concern for them as God has for them? When Jesus looked out over the people and he saw that they were dispirited and distressed like those who have no shepherd, he told his disciples, pray for the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. When he saw Jerusalem and knew how it was going to be destroyed, he wept over it. How often I've tried to gather you together and you were unwilling. Are you concerned about those around you? God wants all to be saved, even those who currently willfully oppose Him. Think about Jesus' brothers. They didn't want anything to do with Him. They didn't believe in Him. But after His resurrection, they believed in Him. After His resurrection, they received Him. James even becoming the lead pastor of the church in Jerusalem. And what about Saul of Tarsus? He who was destroying the church of God, wreaking havoc among the people of God. Jesus came to him. Why are you doing this to me, Saul? Who are you? Lord. He acknowledged whoever this was was Lord. If you've received Christ as your Savior, do you have a concern for people like God does? Or are you just about winning your arguments? Are you just about your own kingdom? It ought not be for that. It ought not be that way for God's people. If you've received Christ as your Savior, you ought to be concerned for God like God's people. uh, People like God is concerned for people. And maybe you're here today and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior. There's never been a time in your life where you've said, where you've bowed the knee to Jesus, where you said, Lord Jesus, save me. Maybe you need that. Maybe you need to receive Him as your Savior. Well, let me encourage you this way today, please. And we'll do something a little different today. I know you Baptists are not like that, but... We're going to do something a little different. So when we have our invitation today, if you've received Christ as your Savior, and there are people in your life that need Him, 
I mean, I suppose you could be in such a bubble that you don't know anybody who's unsaved. But if you're saved, if you're a believer, you have a concern at all for your friends, for your family, for your neighbors, your coworkers to be saved, you come this morning and you pray for them and you seek God's face on their behalf as we, as we have that invitation together today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Father, we, we see, Lord, how all the nations of the world want to go their own way. They want to set up an autonomy against you. But it will not happen that your son has declared himself as Messiah because you declared him as Messiah. Lord, might we have this same desire for those around us as you do. Lord, these people that are rebelling against you, you're calling them to repentance. God, you're calling them to show discernment, to trust in you, to believe in you because you don't want them to perish. Your heart is exceedingly kind. Oh, Father, help us. Lord, we pray. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand. We're going to sing God of Grace. So as we sing, would you come? You know in your heart you've received Christ. You have friends, family, those who you love who need Christ. Would you come and pray? Seek his face. Praise amazing wonder so incredible and free. Oh, the miracle of mercy, Jesus reaches down for me. God of grace, I stand in wonder as my God restores my soul. His own blood has paid my ransom, awesome cause to make me whole. We sing that next verse, and maybe some of you sort of just drop to where you are. You're praying there. Maybe you're here, and you're still not come forward only because you're not saved yet. Do you need Christ? Would you come out, come forward, let somebody pray with you? to receive Jesus. Maybe somebody's already praying for you right now to be saved. Would you come? As we continue to sing and pray, you come and see God's face to be saved. God of grace who loved and knew me long before the world began. Send my Savior down from heaven, perfect God and perfect man. God of grace, I trust in Jesus, I'm accepted as his own. Every day his love sustains me as I lean on him alone. God of grace, I stand astounded, cleansed, forgiven, and secure. All my fears are now confounded, and my hope is ever sure. 
God of grace, now crowned in glory, where one day I'll see your face, and forever I'll adore you in your everlasting grace, and forever I'll adore you in your everlasting grace. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day. And Lord, I pray, God, as you show us how much you love the whole world, individually, personally, that we would desire to see others come to know you. And Lord, as we go out this afternoon to tell the gospel to these individuals at the mobile home park about you, about the salvation you've offered, may our hearts be ready and heavy over their salvation, over their repentance, over their faith in your Son. Lord, may we sing with such fervor because of that. And Lord, may you give me a message of the clear gospel that they would not only hear it, but receive it and mix it with faith. Father, we pray that you give us a burden for these people that we're going to see in just about an hour. Father, I pray and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.